right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into the Just Basketball Show for Monday, May 22nd. I am Chris Manning. That is our man, my man, Brendan Clean. Our man, really. He's Everybody's a man. Of the man. People. Everybody's man. Just a man of the masses. Subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice. Five-star reviews only on those platforms. Rate and subscribe us. Subscribe really just on the YouTube channel. Hit that notification bell get those notifications when we have new stuff going up. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for producing. Later in the show, we're going to talk about James Harden, who's just apparently going to uh, the Houston Rockets because, okay. And we also are going to talk about Nuggets-Lakers, which is a 3-0 Nuggets series advantage. The main meat of today's show is going to be on Heat-Celtics Game 3. The Heat just are wrapping that up as we speak. Um, we started recording a little bit early because that the, the Celtics put in Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard and were waving the white flag at the beginning of the fourth quarter. That series is also 3-0. Brendan, I want to hit two quick things before we dive into the conference finals, if that's cool with you. Sure. Okay. Number one, uh, you you on Sunday before we recorded this were in attendance for the Mercury's home opener, the return of Brittany Griner. Can you just tell us what the scene was like, what what everything felt like as BG makes her return to the court after everything she's been through? Kind of hard to put into words, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, I've covered the WNBA for longer than I've covered anything. I've covered Brittany Griner more than maybe any athlete that I've covered. I mean, Devin Booker probably uh, is the only one more. She's been here since I was a teenager in, in Phoenix. And so uh, I didn't go to a lot of games last year because that team was a depressing cloud to to be around and to watch for understandable reasons. But she brought back every bit of amazing fan support that you could imagine. They almost sold out the Suns Arena, which is rare for a WNBA game, including the upper rafters. I mean, some WNBA teams play in like community college arenas. So that puts into perspective how excited people were for this game. And she was a beast on the court. I mean, 27 points. She made a three and screamed at everybody that she was back, uh, which I think she uh, more than proved with the way she's been able to, to get back on the court and make an impact. The Mercury as a team, TBD. Uh, not not really a well-developed roster right now, but um, obviously that's kind of secondary, at least for the time being, while she's just getting her conditioning back and, you know, being welcomed back to the league. So cool moment for sure. And uh, excited to see her just make her way through a season and, and keep dominating because she's a great player. Yeah, very happy for her. I'm sure that was just like a very emotional moment. It's one of those things where I I felt like it was one of those stories that like I, you know, there's a lot going on in sports right now. There's the PGA final on Sunday, you know, like you had – Game three of this series, baseball's in full swing, all that stuff. But this felt like one of those stories that I kind of was like, I feel like I should be hearing more about this, if I'm being honest, because there's been nothing quite like someone who is wrongfully imprisoned by the Russian government for a long time over vape cartridges getting to return to professional sports. There's nothing, there's like not a, there's not a story that compares to that. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing that yeah. is ever going to replicate that. It is. Crazy, and it's almost like crazy that she's playing this fast, and or is like like she's been through so much. Like I think we would have understood broadly that it's like maybe she just needs time and comes back later in the year or next year. Yeah, or she something, was freed. You know I, mean? I mean, almost I think 
five or six months ago. I can't remember the, uh, mm. almost to the day. I think it was the 22nd of November or December. So, um, that's really fast. I mean, muscle atrophy is not a word you hear get thrown around for athletes all that often, but that's what she was dealing with. So she's just sort of getting her feet underneath of her and still was able to play, you know, 75% of the game tonight and, and be pretty dominant. Like I said, other WNBA story I want to hit. So the, the New York Liberty had an interesting first two games. Beat by the Mystics, who, by the way, Brennan, our friends at BetMGM, uh, they had they opened up when we did our pod of Sabrina Merchant. The Mystics had plus 1,400 odds to win the title. That has already shifted to plus 1,000 after the Mystics just spanked the Liberty in, in, in the first game of, yeah. of them. But the Liberty then get the Indiana Fever on Sunday. And if you want to talk about like getting a chance to bounce back and get in a rhythm and just get a nice win under your belt, I can't. I you know playing the Indiana Fever at home is is a pretty good way to do that. They just completely outmatched the Fever in pretty much every basically every asset of facet of the game. They got whatever they wanted. They played with really great pace. And Brianna Stewart uh, turns out is pretty great. I if I were the Fever, I might have kind of tried to guard her uh, a little bit more closely, if I'm being honest, and like not lose her in transition and give her open threes. But she was just absolutely outrageous in this game. Uh, her she had 45 points, a new Liberty record, mm-hmm. and and her what, her, did not, her record too, her personal record, her record. Thirty in only thirty minutes, fifteen to twenty-one from the field, six of nine from three, twelve boards, three assists. I believe zero turnovers. Uh, One turnover, she good, but it was at the very end. Sorry. Yeah, okay. she's um, she's unbelievable. I mean, the, the Liberty put up ninety, and she had forty-five, and they only scored five total points in the fourth quarter. I don't think she played a minute in the fourth quarter. They, no, they, they just they, like they, literally no. sat out the fourth quarter effectively and still won by seventeen. That's how ugly this one got, but. I mean, look, man, like she is uh, the best player in the league and she is one of the best basketball players we've ever seen. She's one of the best winners in the history of professional sports, in the history of sports period when you go back to college and uh, one of the most dominant athletes that's playing right now. And so this is nothing new. It's awesome that it's happening and a little bit of a of a brighter spotlight in New York on this super team where she's going to be sort of showered with attention and that team's going to be the talk of the league on shows like this all year long um but look the w is in a situation it's not just the super the super teams it's do you have these offensive backbreaking types of talents do you have these scheme breaking superheroes on your team or do you not and the storm used to have one that's why they won championships now that player is on the new york liberty the washington mystics who you just mentioned they have one in elena deladon I actually don't even think of Asia Wilson as that type of player. I think she's a little bit more of a killer of the old-fashioned variety, which is Mm -hmm. awesome in its own right. But I think Diana Taurasi used to be one of those types of players. She's not so much anymore. And there's more coming in the pipeline. But it's just such a clear difference between the haves and the have-nots from an offensive standpoint in that league. And a lot of it has to do with players like Stewart just being able to do things that not a lot of other people can do. And as you mentioned, not a lot of people in that league can defend against yeah just they're they're gonna be good uh brady's brandon stewart pretty freaking great it, 28 you know, assists the Mystics, for them on 33 made shots in this game the ball it was so, just moving 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 around on the other end uh just again the fever tough i i cannot understand they i think they just like probably need to force feed a leah a little bit more i saw some stuff on twitter that they had 
uh, one of the lowest assist percentages in the league last year. And that's not exactly how this team is built. But like the fact that Aaliyah Boston had seven shots is is a crime. Like, I think you got to just probably emphasize her a little bit more and figure stuff out. The fact, like, <sighs> but she's the type where you're going to get to, you know, she's going to get to 12 to 15 even on that few shots. But you're right. I mean, what else are they doing? They, I understand they want to win games, but this season is, it's largely about her. So she should, she should just be she, getting she, spoon fed if, if nothing else, you know. They they also just might shoot better than 35.6% from the field if Aaliyah Boston is taking more than seven shots. Just a thought. I think. All right, let's move on to Heat Celtics game three. Brendan, this is this is over. To to do the Vince Carter, it's over. It's done. We're getting the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets are gonna play in the NBA Finals. That's where we're headed here. And I wanted to start by talking about Bam Adebayo because Jimmy Butler deserves so much of the praise for what has happened with him. He is the embodiment of him. Even in this game where he's like 5 of 13 and has 16 points, he's memeing, he's pointing at Grant Williams, he's doing Jimmy Butler shit, right? Gabe Vincent is like absolute on a heater in this game. He has 29. Like, you got Caleb Martin coming off the bench scoring 18. Like, they're getting production from everywhere. Freaking Duncan Robinson is 22. He's throwing lobs to Bam. Like, what are we doing here? Smoking Grant Williams off the dribble? Here we go. Bam is the heart and soul of what Miami does. That guy is so freaking tough. He is making big plays. He's dunking on people in this game. He's defending the rim. You know, you look at a stat line, it's 13 and 3 and 2. But that that guy is just at the center of everything that they've done. And he's this is the Jimmy show in a lot of ways, but it's also the Bam show. I You know, Zach Lowe is calling the toy in the bandwagon. We should all be on the bandwagon. That guy is a special, special talent and has been absolutely instrumental in everything Miami's doing on both ends of the floor and just kind of controlling the paint and, and to controlling the, the physicality inside. All playoffs for Miami, but especially in this Boston series where he's kicked. He's beat up Robert Williams. He's beat up Al Horford. He's dominated kind of everything that has happened inside in this series. He's just, uh, you know, it's, it's cliched, but like that guy really makes an impact. Like maybe some people listening are wondering, what are we doing talking about a guy who was 13 and three and two, you know, but he's a plus 30. And in the playoffs this year for Miami, the defense has been six points better per hundred possessions when Bam is out there, which is the best on the team. Offense uh, has been actually a little worse, which, you know, whatever, take it or leave it. Uh, I think from, from him, the offense to me, what's popped has been the versatility you know like the the thing that jumps out from the buck series to me is what he was able to do as a facilitator the game when jimmy had uh 60 or 56 part of how that happened because the bucks did actually try to to overload jimmy a little bit was to put the ball in bam's hands and have jimmy work as a cutter and they were running super old-fashioned awkward looking offense but it was working because Bam is such a good facilitator and he was able to get Brooke Lopez out from underneath the basket. The Knicks series, he has, you know, a couple 20 point games and is, is just very efficient, is able to battle on the boards against Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein. And then in this series, you know, he's already had a 22, 17 and nine game in game two. And then in game three tonight, working the two man game with Duncan Robinson. And I think Bam made only four shots. I think three of those were like, three of the best dunks of the playoffs. And he was just, Mm -hmm. the confidence was just jumping off 
of the screen and and bringing that that Duncan two man game back to life, which I didn't know if we'd ever see again. I think it was on life support there uh, for for these guys, but that was a, a key part of what they were able to do in the in the bubble and that season leading up to the bubble. So his versatility is just it's it's amazing. And and you mentioned his toughness. I just maybe it's cliched and we should hold him to a higher standard. I know Heat fans, he's the biggest punching bag in the league for like one fan base of a max player. Like you'd think Heat fans actively hate him sometimes the way that he gets talked about uh, online. But I listened to Udonis Haslam on the Levitard show this week and he was asked about Bam and kind of that same thing. Why, why are people so hard on him? I just don't think people realize that he's 6'9 and still 25. Mm-hmm. And he plays like, you know, just a, a dude who's been in the league 15 years and won a couple championships and is like, you know, 25 pounds heavier than he is. Like he just, he's so trustworthy for them already. And I, I guess that's just what the heat are. That's how his career has gone. It's year six and that's just what it is. But I'm going to go ahead and give him a ton of credit for being able to be that starting in year three. They made the finals when he was in the thir- his third season. Now they're headed back and, and he's an even bigger contributor. But the dude is able to do anything and is just as much a part of whatever the culture stuff is as anybody, I think. Oh, 100%. This is someone who, like, this doesn't work unless you have someone like Bam at the back end of what they're doing and someone that can bring up the ball at times as well, right? Like, that has been one of the things that has been really cool to see in the playoffs is they're like, we need to get him involved. We need to emphasize what he is. We need to play to his strength. Let's have him bring up the ball. Let's take some of the pressure off for Jimmy. Let's, you know, we don't, we're not always playing a traditional point guard, right? Like Kyle Lowry is coming off the bench for this team. Let's have Bam bring up the ball and initiate things and keep things going. And it's just, the, Brendan, the physicality, he must be just like so annoying to play against because the physicality that guy plays with, how he's bumping, how he's hitting guys, how he's always kind of going 100 miles an hour, but under control. He must just be like incredibly frustrating to play against because that the, the motor is just relentless and relentless and relentless. And look, I, you know, he hasn't won a defense player of the year. This is one of the best, like what, five, seven defensive players we have in the league. Like he should win one at some point. He's that special. He's that multifaceted. He's that smart on that end of the floor. There's no one quite like him at his size that kind of is dominating inside the way he is. Right. Like I, yeah, it's not like really, he's he's probably just a little small, right? It's like that one last ingredient, which is very much going to show up uh, in the next couple of weeks of like, do you fully trust him against Embiid or Jokic as a post guy? You probably have to send help. You probably have to do some different things. But I mean, for a modern guy in the Draymond mold, I mean, he's he's that next coming of that for sure. He he yeah, Draymond's kind of the where you go because he, he, they are both kind of nasty in in a really positive way. They're both physical as all hell. They're both smart and kind of dictate these schemes and kind of can do anything you need them to do. I cannot wait to watch him defend Jokic over the course of a seven game series. I have no idea what that is going to look like, but like, I can't, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to just see what that, that looks like and how that plays. Um, Brennan, is there, is there, when you look at the series and you look at how we got here, is there something about what Miami has done or what the Celtics haven't done that has stood out to you? I think one of the things you pointed this out, you know, in our text and we were texting before we hopped on was, that the Heat are just absolutely shooting lights out from three. Yeah. Um, they are 54.3% of the game, like 45% coming into the game. Uh, I'm going to pull up the 45% Murray. was including tonight. 
Okay, including tonight. So yeah. Law Murray, then from the Athletic, had a who covers the Clippers, but uh, usually had like some good NBA observations out there. Um, he had a point about the Celtics, where they basically have there's a three point. So in the regular season, they had one game all regular season with fewer than thirty three point attempts. Okay. Also regular season. They've had two of those games in the postseason already. One was a loss to the Sixers. One was a loss to the Heat. Hmm. They finished this game uh, with 42. But like their, their three-point outlet is just not exactly kind of working the same way. They don't like look comfortable. And particularly Jason Tatum does not look comfortable. He's 1-7 from 3. 6 of 18 has not been good this entire series. Jalen Brown also 0-7 from 3. 6 of 17 from the field. Neither of them have been good. Yeah. Neither of them have been good. And Boston, I know... Miami just credit defensively, but they're a little hotter from three. That has made a big difference. But this is this has been a beatdown. If you had an alien came from another planet, Brendan, and looked at the series and they decided which team was the higher rank seed for the theory, it would be my it would you'd look at it and say Miami. They've been thoroughly just outclassing Boston, it feels like in every capacity we've seen. Yeah, Boston shooting twenty nine percent from deep after this game for the series. So I mean it's not just that, right? Because I think you have to be able to look at the fact that the threes that Boston is getting feel a lot more bailout than the actual end result that you're looking for, which is what the Heat often are. Although Gabe Vincent is uh, an alien and he's just taken off the bounce threes like he's coincidentally prime Kyle Lowry. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're getting catch and shoot stuff from Duncan Robinson, from Cody Martin, from Max Struess prior to tonight. And obviously then Lowry and Vincent doing their thing. Love, Butler, everybody on this team can basically shoot. I mean, you even, part of what that has allowed is this, for the superstars to be that much better too, right? Because Butler and Adebayo, some of the ISOs that they were facing, even against the Bucks, right? Or even against the Knicks when the Knicks were sending hard doubles at Jimmy all series. And the Celtics actually mm -hmm. did that in game two quite a bit. All of it is that much open, more open, that much more likely to result in the great shot when your shooters are making shots. Whereas the Celtics, when it's, you know, like Ryan Rosillo tweeted jokingly, favorite possession of the year about a Jalen pull-up three. When Tatum comes off of a pin down, one of the stereotypical Celtics, you know, superstar wing coming off the screen, pin down, same thing they ran for Isaiah and Kyrie, and now they run it for Tatum. Brown just looks him off, doesn't pass the ball to him. They look to set something else up. Somebody's, I think it was Grant, was running to set a screen for Jalen, and he just 12, 11, 10, okay, three. And it's like, those are the threes that the Celtics are getting. So that's the big difference. It's not just that, the oh, crap, we're not making shots. It's like, well, no, you're taking god-awful shots on a lot of these possessions, especially when you start to tense up. And I don't really know what explains that. I don't know. It feels like a very emblematic thing of just how they are bailing out of the series, you know, it's like you're bailing out of possessions, which is then leading you to bail out of games, which is then leading you to kind of roll over and, and bail out of the series. Um, it was ugly tonight. I don't think there's any other way to, to look at it. And Joe Missoula seemed to agree because he didn't even let him play the fourth quarter. I mean, I know you're down 30. You're probably not coming back from that, but yeah, you at least usually see guys come out for pride, if nothing else. I, I really, in some ways, just like, dude, I don't understand like the coaching advantage in this series, Brendan makes sense to me on paper because we know what Spo is. We know that's the best basketball coach alive. 
it has been just even starker than that. This is like the best coach ever coaching against someone who like that. Like, like I, I don't even know. I probably had to say what Joe Missoula has looked like. He's getting just thoroughly outmatched tactically in every bit of this. And there's no energy coming from the Celtics. Like none. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like how do you, there is a dip, there is a distinct thing going on with the coaching, I think. But I don't I don't blame coaching when Tatum and Brown are playing just terrible basketball, making weird, uncharacteristic, straight up bad decisions, not attacking the right things. I mentioned the doubling of Jimmy. They kind of just allowed themselves to get into bad switching situations in this game and, and honestly a lot throughout the series with Derek White and, and Malcolm Brogdon both. I don't know if that's coaching. That feels like players I, I, just not putting in the effort to, to, to compete. Does the coach not deserve some play in that because I think like if we're looking back to last year one of the things that was different was that like I think the coach really helped them get there yeah and you hear what like and it, based on kind of what they've said about the about Ime Iruka, the, like it seems like he was a real part of that identity and called them out on their bullshit and got them to places and it does not seem yeah. like Missoula is providing that edge and I like I like I think Spo has a part in ha- bring, providing that edge for Miami. Like I think Jimmy sure. kind of in in that organization, it's like built into what they are. As long as Pat Riley is around, and like as long as they target certain guys with certain characteristics, like I yeah. Mean, but here's go the back thing: read, I, like, I totally agree. Stuff. I mean, I think that part of the reason Doc Rivers and Monty Williams and Mike Budenholzer all don't have jobs anymore is exactly what you're talking about. Like the coach, absolutely, it lays at their feet to a degree. I guess when I look at these two teams, especially in that comparison that you're making, it's like Mm -hmm. Kyle Lowry was that guy when he was a rocket, a Villanova Wildcat, (laughs) a Toronto Raptor. Yeah, when when he won a title with the Toronto Raptors. Exactly. Jimmy Butler has been doing this since forever. You know, he came from being the 30th overall pick in the draft to being Tibbs' right-hand man to then, you know, being wooed by the Heat because he exhibited the stuff that they knew that they wanted, right? And like some of these other guys, maybe you would agree it's a Spolstra heat culture product, but Lowry and and Jimmy to me make it seem like, okay, that's players. That's guys who, yes, they identified them and got them in the door, but like those guys were going to be able to to bring that whatever they did, whoever they were being coached by. In the case of the Celtics, it's like, well, when, you know, Brad Stevens and then at least the first half of the season under Udoka before he seemingly kind of just decided like, F this, I'm going to be the the asshole in the room no matter what it does. And it ended up being responded to in a really good way. And they go to the finals and everything else. But they were like 500 as of January 1st. We mm-hmm. all remember that last year, right? And then now mm-hmm. all season with Missoula, there have been some questions about it. And then all postseason. So it's like, I don't know who it's coming from. It's probably just one of those things where the group has been together for so long that it's kind of hard to separate out whose who's fault, quote unquote, it really is that they come out this way. But that's that's where I come at it as like, this is a player thing from a mentality standpoint. Like, yes, Missoula seems to be getting out-schemed, but I think Boston, we knew that going in. I, I think sure. Boston could have gotten out-schemed and still won this series based on talent alone because they're very clearly the more overall talented, accomplished team by far. It's just... They're getting all of the other stuff is going the other direction. And now at this point in the series, like the talent's not even playing well. So that's why you get a 30 point loss. But like, 
what the hell? How do you, these guys just keep doing this? That's what's so crazy about it on the Boston side. Like, how do you have that same problem and never learn from it? It just, yeah, they. it feels like they just gave it up this game. Like, it just feels like they're just like third quarter, okay, come out of halftime. Maybe there's like one more run to push back and, and make this a game. And instead, by the end of the third quarter, Tatum and Brown are out for the night and it's over. But that's it's, their it's season. Done. It, but it's just, it's just so. Maybe the problem I think I'm having with this, Brendan, is that it's just, it's just so bizarre. Like this is just, like, I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that the team we saw in Game Seven against Philly and at the end of Game Six against Philly, particularly Tatum, is now been this against Miami. The the stark shift of what they were at the end of that Philly series to get to where they had to get to to beat Philly. And do what they need to do. And yeah, Tatum I mean, playing the way he so did. They were so bad in game just, five against Philly and game I, one just, against Philly. Just, so it's not like I, this is just I, what I know, the hell I know. the Celtics are falling apart. How know, could this happen? I, I know. I get that. It's just like I. That felt to me, like I believe that sometimes there are things you go through in these moments that like have immediate effect and help turn things around. And I thought maybe that was going to be something of that for Boston. And it just clearly isn't. And it just makes you think. I, it's just like I think where I'm trying to get to mentally is being like. Maybe this is just what this group is. Maybe this is just like kind of what they are. And yeah, it just feels like just there's nothing there. They could have, it just like, I hate summing it up to being like, they didn't want them more. They're not as tough, but like that, that is what it just felt like. Like it, it, the heat, every series, I mean, except for the play in because they like lost to the, they lost a game and then like stuck by the bulls and we're trailing with five minutes to go. Like, which is just like a wild thing to consider in retrospect. Yeah, Clint Capella should but, be like the like, number one free agent on the market considering he's the only one who had a crack in the armor against, <laughs> showed us any crack in the armor against the Heat all yeah. year. Yeah, like, like, yeah. But then it's like round one, tougher, more in your face, more disciplined, just more knowing your identity. Just like lost Tyler Hero and just kept pushing along. Round two... Same thing, just kind of eviscerated a lesser team and just spo out, coached the crap out of Tibbs. And then it's happened again with ostensibly the best opponent they should have played the whole playoffs. Like, you know, Kevin Love gets hurt five minutes into this game after it comes out kind of hot. And it's just like they just kept humming. I know Kevin Love is not like the same as important as like Bam or any one of their real integral pieces. I get that. But it's like Kevin Love like has started for them and given them pretty good minutes. And they just are like, okay. Like, sucks. We're just going to keep pushing. Cody Martin's going to play 35 minutes and have 18 points. Here we go. Seems just... It actually seemed like that kind of helped them in a way because it made the Celtics only be able to play one big at a time. And then it was like Robert Williams had to play as the solo big a lot. And he didn't play quite as well tonight and everything else. I mean, yeah, the the zone is another example of what Spoh's been able to do. I think it was like in game uh, two... He played zone like over half the time in the first and third quarters or maybe the second and fourth. It was like alternating and the other quarters he played a more traditional defense. And it's like that that stuff does matter and it does add up. And I think you're totally right that that's where coaching plays a role. But um, the Celtics just take bad shots, let themselves get into into a bad rhythm. And they were just they couldn't even guard the ball tonight. Like Duncan Robinson was getting into the paint scoring. Uh, we talked about the Bam dunks, Gabe Vincent just driving and kicking, getting to his pull-up three. Like, 
they just looked like they couldn't even contain a pick and roll or a dribble handoff or just some of the basic stuff that Miami runs in this game. Um, so their season will end, I guess, as a, as a result and, and appropriately. But um, we've talked a lot already, but I think at some point, maybe going into the finals, we got to talk about how we ended up with this situation where these the Nuggets were the favorite. They were the one seed, but so dominant and so many lopsided results in these playoffs and like some of it is okay the heat and coaching and heat culture whatever but it's been happening all over the league and it's it's very strange and it makes all of this really hard to predict yeah i in some of these teams tend to feel anomalous and kind of one-on-one in some ways but boy the heat are just like i like we're gonna have such a funny time next year brennan breaking this down when like they're like the seventh seed again we just have no idea what to do it's like, uh, you know, like the, the regular season tells us this team isn't that good. And then they might just do some Miami Heat shit and end up in the finals again. Wild stuff. All right, let's move on and let's dive into James Harden. All right, let's move on, Brendan. Take a little break in between talking about playoff games to talk about James Harden, who is not in the playoffs anymore. But by all accounts, is very much just going to the Houston Rockets. From Keith Pompey at the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, in a story that came out over the weekend, Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta quote, loves the 76ers point guard and the franchise expects to reunite with him, sources say. Before the Rockets hired Ime Udoka on April 25th, head coaching candidates were asked during the interview process for their opinion on coaching Harden, according to sources. Uh, you th- you flagged me on something else that Brian Windhorst, the god himself, said on ESPN that there's, quote, an appetite around the NBA for Harden landing a four-year contract worth more than $200 million. That would obviously be him leaving Philadelphia to get that money, get that paper elsewhere. Brendan, as of right now, we have, you know, six weeks or so until free agency technically legally starts. But we obviously know this all starts beforehand. If that was ever unclear, this is like further proof that this stuff is often worked out months, months, months in advance. It sure seems like, dating back to Christmas, that James Harden was on his way back to Houston. And this just feels like we're just one, one step closer to that. Um, I, 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 do you want to start with the Harden side or do you want to start with the Philly side of this? Let's do Harden. Okay. So... I think this just tells us what James Harden wants. This tells us that he wants to be a god in Houston and that he wants to be somewhere he's super comfortable and controls the franchise and not like push himself out of his comfort zone and push himself to try to win. That's just what this feels like to me. And Harden, there, there could be reasons why he wants to do this. He might really love Houston. I, I get wanting to be somewhere you're comfortable. But Harden's best chance to win a title and compete in the highest leverage games, ones like the ones he just competed in with Philly, it's not going to Houston. Unless that roster is completely remade and reshuffled and everything, that's a really young team with a first-year head coach who obviously had success with Boston and made the finals. But like that is not a roster you plop James Harden into and it's like, great, we're off and running. Let's make the Western Conference Finals this year or make a finals run. That is like, I, I don't know what that team is. I don't understand the point of James Harden on a team in any logical sense, aside from the fact 
that he's a franchise legend and that Houston maybe wants a star in the market. But for him, I think this just tells us exactly what James Harden wants to be at this point of his career. Yeah, you mentioned him being a god in in Houston. Um, if you were a Rockets fan, I know this is a little bit the Rockets side, but I think it would affect how I would be well, thinking the, about returning there those, if I'm James Harden. Is that what you yeah. would think? Like, would you be like, yes, the the god is back. Like, our guy, we we got him again, and we're we're off to the races. Or would you be like, we just suffered through atrocious basketball for three seasons, and now our grand prize is the same guy who left in the first place, and we're going to be back to you know a worse version of what our ceiling was then. Because that's what it. That's what I would be feeling. I know they love him, but I don't know if I would be looking at this as like, thank God we got James again. And that's I, I what you would have to be it, yeah. if you're a god. If you're like, bring you know the trumpets are playing when you walk back onto the Toyota Center floor for the first time. Well, so when I say God, I mean that that guy like can live the life he wants to live in Houston. Okay. And go to clubs and get banners hung up in adult establishments and and all of that. I don't know how the fan base like should feel about this. I don't understand. Like, well, I don't understand. I would be annoyed, honestly. I would because like, look, you you drafted Jalen Green, you drafted Jabari Smith. You're gonna you have a high pick this year. You just got Ime Udoka in there. Like you, he, it felt like to me that if you just didn't have the Harden thing, it's like I look. The obvious caveat of like the Boston stuff and how the NBA just kind of pushed Yudoka back into this without any like real assessment or repercussions for for what went on there. That's a coach that it's like you're bringing in to actually bring yourself like some structure and culture in your locker room, like bring a different voice and like an actual like presence to your team that desperately need it. You can't yeah. you can't watch the Rockets last year and think that there was a plan or like a shape to what they were doing in in any way, right? Like a lot of bad habits being developed by Houston yeah. players the last couple of years. Which is why their coach got fired. Yeah. Which is why their coach got fired. I think like that to me, if like you're saying, okay, we have Jalen Green, we have all these other young guys, we have another pick. You don't let's let Udoka shape that. That is the way forward to me. We put Harden in here. Harden's gonna run the franchise more than Udoka will in a lot of ways because he's James Harden. He's being yeah. given the two hundred million dollar contract. Coaches who are interviewing for this job, according to Keith Montpelier, are being asked about do they want to coach James Harden? That yeah. is putting Harden above everything else you have going on there. The message you are sending is that like everything you just did, it, it was all about James anyway. The rest of the stuff doesn't matter. That's not how you build like a sustainable, like real thing. This is just like a thrown together like marketing. Can we make the play in kind of vibe? Like that's what this feels yeah. like to me. Yeah, it is. And it let's let's circle back to the Rocket side. And then I also think there's a third side, which is the Sixers side. Um, yeah. of all of this too. But to stick on Harden for a second, has have we seen the last memorable, was game four there, or yeah, it was four, I believe, the win that they had when he went for 40 again, when we were also impressed by, by game one. And he goes for 42 in, in game four, playing 47 minutes in a home win to take 2-2 in the series. Is that the last memorable James Harden moment in the postseason that we will ever have uh, as far as a meaningful one? I could imagine yes. a Houston series where he maybe scores 30 in a, in a first-round win, but a championship-caliber team winning a meaningful game, getting them closer to that championship. I think you could make the case that's the last one we ever see for this guy. 
if he goes to I, I, I agree. I, I don't see the path of this team like being like a relevant championship contender. The West is really good. Let's just run through the teams in the West that we expect to be around next year. Okay? Let's look at the standings from this year, regular season. The Rockets, by the way, were 22 and 60. The 14th, the, tied with the, the Spurs for the worst record in the conference. 31 games out of first place. 31 games out of first place. You have the Nuggets, who like I think are the favorites to win the title right now. They're not going anywhere. We'll see what happens with Job, but Memphis, you would think, is still going to be pretty good. The Kings, on the way up. The Suns, they have KD and Book, and they're going to reshape that roster in some way, I imagine. We'll see what happens with the Clippers, but like if they run it back, that team's going to be much better coach and have a deeper roster, okay? You have the Warriors. Big summer head for them, but they're going to probably have Steph Curry, who's pretty great. The Lakers. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, it seems like they're going to they're gonna match any offers for Reeves and Vando, and, and they'll be okay there. We'll see what happens with D'Lo, whatever. The Wolves, okay, like they have a lot of good talent there. They have Ant. The Pelicans, the Thunder, who on, on the up and up get Chet back next year in addition to having SGA. The Mavericks have Luka Doncic. The Jazz have an assortment of young talent and a, and a really nice coach in Will Hardy and another draft pick this year and the avenues to make trades if they want to. Portland yeah, I is, mean, is like you like could probably see them be better stacked. than than the the other young like mediocre teams. I think that that's what you do to that's what getting Harden does for the Rockets. So are they but, like the thirteenth team in the West is like that's my point. It's like is this getting them yeah. to twelve? Like what is the point of that? I think you could make if if you're in Houston's front office, you would be looking at it as. You're in the mix with Minnesota, Oklahoma City, New Orleans, Dallas, that like eight to 11 play in range. And then maybe you hope there's some implosions. But I mean, I don't think they're doing this expecting to be in the top four in the West. No one would no one would be convinced of that. It's more so we have the money. We like this guy and let's go ahead and look. I mean, I think there's a case to be made, right, that from the Houston standpoint, you don't get a player like this at this point in your trajectory, usually, right? So it's like, I, in terms of we want to spend our money, what should we spend it on? Maybe the best free agent available and we're a, a horseshit team. I don't think anybody would fault them for that. That makes a lot of sense. It's more so the duplication that not only Jalen Green, but also Kevin Porter Jr., Josh Christopher, Ty Ty Washington, multiple of the the young players you brought in recently are going to be cannibalized by Harden being there and the fast-forwarding of what a player of Harden's caliber does to your team. He doesn't allow the player development and the let's take it patiently to continue to happen. That's over. Um, mm-hmm. That's where I think the problem really comes in, is, is that side of it. Um, on the Harden part, too, the last thing that I had is, and maybe this transitions us to talk a little bit about the Sixers as well, which I have lots of thoughts on, but I don't understand the... <laughs> it's insane to watch how his career has played out, obviously, from the perspective of the lack of getting over the hump, the changing of, of his mind a million times, seemingly, in the past two, three years. I mean, just since the pandemic started, we've had four different eras of James Harden, it feels like. Um, That's all crazy enough. The not taking care of his body. Sometimes you look not even at like the early Thunder pictures of him, but there's pictures that'll go around, especially because the Sixers are now considering 
Mike D'Antoni, apparently, where he's like, the, the years he won MVP even, the dude looks like a, an Adonis out there. And now it looks like being a professional athlete is second secondary to him. I don't know how bodies work. I'm not a sports scientist, but we watch these players over time and it should not be that drastic. Like I can at least speak from I watch basketball and that's not what's supposed to happen. That guy does not look like he cares to be in the best shape anymore. And he's not exactly 40. He's 33 or whatever. Um, so that's insane. But the real crazy part to me in terms of the lack of like commitment that he continues to show is why do teams continue to bend over backward for this guy? That's the other part of it from the Houston standpoint that I think you could absolutely take issue with is like, like you were talking about in the way of being a God, I think the other way he'll be a God, as you mentioned, he'll be the most important guy in the franchise. He apparently got doc rivers fired. Yeah. And now he's going to leave. Why the hell does James Harden have the enough sway in that organization to get Doc Rivers fired? I don't think Doc Rivers is an amazing coach that you should be in the business of like staking everything to. If he gets fired, he gets fired, whatever. But the fact that that decision seems to have been made in large part based on what this guy thought, the guy who just went seven of 27 in your last two must win playoff games when you had a lead in the series to score 22 points and he had 10 turnovers in those games. That's the guy who gets to fire your coach for you. Like, what are we doing anymore with this guy? That's the insane part. And then when you think, yes, Houston, it's the best they can do, but you're going to commit yourself to that nightmare. That's that's what's all is so insane about it is like somebody has to be in the business of employing and building a team around James Harden. I don't think he should just be going to China next year, but I would definitely not be like over the top with it the way that so many of these organizations seem to be. No, I I don't get it. And like, if you're if you're Philly, okay, it's like you're kind of in a weird spot. We'll talk about them. Like, I think you run it back with him if you can. I don't like it. You you're in a weird spot now if he really is going to Houston. The other person, Brendan, I thought about is we're processing all of this is Jalen Green. Let's get Jalen Green out of Houston at this point. To me, like this is not good for Jalen. I I don't see how this unless James Harden is just really going to play like a style of point guard and setting people up and providing infrastructure in the way that like benefits others in a way he doesn't really ever want to play unless it's like with Embiid in that pick and roll. Like that's not really what Harden does as a point guard to me. Like he, he is not orchestrating I mean, I and kind of been that in, in Brooklyn when, when Kyrie and KD were out, Harden was about to be MVP for the way that he was playing like a, a five out point guard kind of run and gun style. And then in, in Philly, like you mentioned, I think he, he definitely was that. I mean, he averaged, he led the league in assists this season. So but, I think but there's is a he world gonna, where he could. But it, but is he going to do it in this context where it's like he is the man coming in on this $200 million contract and everyone else is young and it's not playing with KD and Kyrie and, and the super no, team thing in that environment so. <laughs> or, or with Joel Embiid. So that's where I go with this. It's like, is he going to be that guy to benefit Jalen Green and Jabari Smith and whatever player the Rockets take in the draft, right? I mean, he might if there's... $50 million, 50 million reasons why every year. Maybe it's just yeah, the bed he's laying for himself of like, all right, I, you know, I, I tried. I guess we'll go to Houston I, and play with the kids. I just like it. need to, I just need to see it. And if I'm, I just, if I'm Jalen green, it's like, I kind of would like to see him get somewhere where he actually is going to get molded into what that guy can okay, become. Well, that is so when a, you say get Jalen green out of there, are you saying Jalen green should try to get himself out of there? Because if I'm Houston, I, 
what do I care if it's not perfect? I don't want to just, I'm not going to get rid yeah, of a I, player. Like, no, for sure. I just, I just like, I just want better for Jalen Green than whatever this has happened to him so far. You look at the other guys in his draft class. Evan Moby got drafted to a great situation. Scotty Barnes got drafted to a really great situation for him. TBD on the Pistons, but Cade, like, they're like, he had like an adult coach in Dwayne Casey at the very least to start his career and like, like, kind of felt like he was contributing to winning. I don't understand what habits like Jalen Green is maybe building in Houston. And I don't know how this like helps further Jalen Green necessarily long on the trajectory that he could be on. Right. Like this just feels weird to me. Like it just, just something about like Jalen Green having to like, like sub out himself for James Harden and like being the lead guy. And like, I like Udoka will help with some of that as well in terms of organizational structure and things. There is just some goofiness in all of this where it's just like, I just want Jalen Green to be in a place where maybe he can grow a little bit more. Maybe that is Houston, but like, I just want him to get a chance to actually grow as the kind of player this dude can be. And it doesn't feel totally to me like this is going to be that. Well, so I think that's where you go back to what Houston would likely be thinking, right? Because I do, is there another, let me put it to you this way on the Jalen Green side of things. Um, and I do have one more Philly point too, but yeah. On the Jalen Green side of things, is there another guard realistically gettable? I mean, they have cap space, they have assets. So theoretically, they basically could get anybody if they wanted them badly enough that you would feel sets Jalen Green up better for success because I, I I personally feel like what he was doing, even if it's Ime Odoka, he's not going to be their, their I'm heavy quotes point guard. Like he was this year, which is in name only like he, mm-hmm. he had the ball a ton. And yet even Kevin Porter jr. Had uh six assists a game and, and Jalen green only had four. Um, so he doesn't turn the ball over a lot. I was trying to find his uh, catch and shoot numbers, but you got to get him off the ball. You got to get him into some sort of structure and Harden, the version of him that is a distributor does that for you. So, but I agree with you. It's a big if, if James Harden would actually commit to playing that way. So is there somebody else you might have gone after instead, considering they have all this money to throw around? Tillman Fertitta's patience is clearly up, and they want to do something to put their guys in a better position to succeed. I could see Fred Van Vliet kind of being more organically that guy, and also just like that's a culture guy. Yeah, but I don't see him as a distributor, though. Like, he's sort of another guy where it's like, okay, where, where are Fred's shots coming from? Sure. But at least like I, I trust that he will like keep the ball moving and like that's a culture and like work ethic guy that I think would like be a good kind of adult in the room for those guys. Like that's how I look at Fred a little bit. Um but like to your to to your point, you look at the point guard market, it's not exactly like a market where like you have another option I would be like throwing the bank down for, right? Like I mean like Kyrie would make zero sense. Dilo would make zero sense. Like, even if you go to shooting guard and the return and you, of you Russ, look, like, you know, is it like you look at the shooting guards, like there's not anyone on that list as well that you're just like, oh, yeah, this is the kind of guy that would exactly kind of come in and, and give us what we're looking for. Like, I understand that part of it. It's not like a great option for the free agency market. It's not a particularly good free agency class. Um, but like someone like I, the Fred thing is just like I, I the shot thing is correct. 
I just the, the, the what that guy is about and like what we kind of know about how he carries himself to me would like really appeal to me as as if I'm Houston in that way. Like I I just think that's like a better culture guy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean absolutely. Um I th- I think that's without a doubt. Um so Philly can offer him 4 years 210 million and Houston can offer him 4 years 202. So that's one of the things here that's worth noting as well is like this isn't Harden taking a pay cut. It's not him getting more. Like it's it's really doesn't seem to be a money decision. Assuming both of those ma- uh, max offers are on the table, which Winhorst again is putting out there that it is. Um, but to circle back to the Philly side, I don't know if people remember this, but James Harden, or I'm sorry, uh, the Sixers, Daryl Morey, got punished for tampering last summer. They lost their second round pick this season and next season as a result of this. You talked about at the very top that this was out there as early as Christmas. And then basically the first real day after the season is over um, or week, at least Keith Pompey, who's as plugged into that team as anybody puts out there that the expectation is widely that Harden will be going to Houston and that that organization went so far as to ask its coach candidates about how they would operate with the team with the player who is under contract on another team. The league recently put out these new punishments for tampering. You can get fined as much as $10 million and your executives can now be suspended for this stuff. I don't understand how the NBA doesn't bring the hammer of all hammers down on Daryl Morey after this. If Harden really does um, or on the, on the rockets on this, sorry, if Harden really does go there. They've been choreographing this from the very beginning. You punish the Sixers for basically getting Harden. You have to punish the Rockets for going out of their way to broadcast to everybody who will listen that they're doing the same exact thing. How do you not bring the utmost punishment on this whole situation? That That's, in, that's what's insane to me. Um, it's just how blatant it's all been. I... I the NBA easily could have had a tampering investigation going already, like and I like that because they're like a thick file folder full of documents, just like cataloging every like the Woj. It's like all right, December twenty fifth, Christmas Day. Here's the Woj tweet about this, and then you just kind of like work off of that. And you're it's if if it came I mean, out on Christmas, there will be been one, starting right? before that. If they there ha- if there they, has if, to if, be. If he goes to the Rockets, we'll we'll get a a NBA press release like the next week that an investigation has begun into the circumstances which it will just be like a pr thing for the nba which like fine whatever because like like if the, like tampering happens it's part of business like I'm, I'm not even saying it's like it's just this is so don't blatant. you think that that te- teams who are this uncareful and a and yeah. just like egregious about it should get punished i mean it's not yeah at the very least it's like let's let's pretend well <laughs> or yeah, or it, hide you know, it. yeah yeah i this mean is, no this is as blatant this is as blatant of tampering as you possibly can get also yeah. just uh does harden have an did harden's ha- i know had instances of agents like not having an agent and stuff at different time um because he hired an agent in 2023 i did the quick google he he just he had uh, just hired had, a new had, agent had, recently, Detroit. which was part yeah. of what broadcast to everybody that he was going to be, you know, making some moves. Yeah, yeah. Troy Payne, um, a former Adidas executive, 
you know, Harden obviously in, in Adidas athlete. So, okay, there you go. Um, Brennan, here's the last, th- the last point I want to make about Philly. If the Philly side of this, they have to nail this. Like, however this, they have to land gracefully somehow in all of this. I wonder what if there's a sign and trade they could find. And even if it's just like getting stuff and then rerouting it somewhere else for something that helps them more immediately, but they have to retool around and beat in a hurry with if Harden goes. Like a lot of pressure on Maxi to think take another step forward next year. But like they're gonna have to considering what they giving up stuff for Harden in the first place, considering the window you have with Embiid, I think you gotta try to sign and trade Harden and at least get something back that you can maybe parlay into something else if if that's not something that you feel like is gonna help you immediately. This is a big, big because if he goes for nothing, they don't have cap space. They don't have like avenues to really do anything if he just just walks for nothing. That's not fully true. I mean, they have if if you were to just decline his player option and sign with the Rockets and the cap the cap hold isn't sitting on their books during all of free agency and everything else, um they would have like 2 million in cap space from that alone. And if they were able to get creative, which, you know, that's one thing you would hope Daryl Morey could do and get Tobias Harris either off the books entirely by dumping him somewhere or at the very least taking back minimal salary for him to get some extra space there. You're talking about even just from those two moves alone of Harden leaving and dumping Harris somewhere, uh, you know, 20 plus million, whatever it ends up being. Um as much as it's just, 30, 30 or 40. So yeah. that that would open. I, the thing is, nobody's a free agent. And so well, that, know, that's, then that you just get into, it's yeah. just going to be endless trades. It's going to have to be a Daryl Morey sort of masterclass offseason yeah. to be just wheeling and dealing to get a, a, a yet another, this will be the next co-pilot for Embiid in that building. Yeah, look at the free agency list. Like it's There's not exactly like a name that I'm like moving heaven and earth to get cap space for. Like, there's, there just isn't. Sure. Yeah. But if you get cap space with Harris, then maybe you can make subsequent moves and then you're more flexible on the trades you can make and you don't have to get equal salary back and you can get somebody sure. else's junk or, it's you, just, it's you, just, you know, it, once you get it, the, the money just, off your books, things get easier, but it's it, just, com- it's just, it's now complicated. It's just complicated. I think this is going to be a complicated process for them to kind of tightrope walk perfectly. Like I, for their sake, I hope they're doing their own tampering to just get ahead of this a little bit and probably just being more careful about it. Well, they got a slap on the wrist last year, so uh, I would imagine subsequent violations would not be treated well. Maybe they'll maybe they'll get the um, compassion from Adam Silver having done it themselves and now having it done to them. They'll they'll be back in good graces, and it's like uh, you know, one plus one equals zero or something like that here. But um, I don't think anyone's gonna feel bad for the Sixers. <laughs> No, they don't. They don't really get the the feel bad considering their fan base and uh, how they've handled all of this stuff. But look, I mean, the really the bottom line here on the Philly side of their offseason is like, does this end up with Joel Embiid looking at greener pastures? I mean, he has Think four of- years on a humongous contract left, so it would not be done done lightly or done easily. But I think this is the first summer where it's at least realistic to think about it. Yeah, and every summer we get someone that moves that we didn't totally expect. So we shall see. All right, let's move on to actual basketball. Teams that are playing in, in big games. That's the Denver Nuggets, who are now branded up 3-0 on the LA Lakers. Interesting note in the Athletic, um, when I was doing some reading Sunday morning and prep for the pod, the Lakers as a franchise in history are 0-8 in games where they are down 3-0. So history would say that 
maybe the Nuggets are going to sweep here. Obviously, no team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. Denver very much obviously just has to take care of business and all that. But like this team is very, very likely uh, going to go to the NBA Finals. Where, Brendan, where I want to start with this is with Michael Malone. Because this is a guy that I think if we'd have looked at him coming into the playoffs, if they had lost in the second round of Phoenix, let's say, might be out of a job. But he has done, I think, a very good job for the most part with this team in this playoff run in this whole era is fiery as all heck in this series and really just like up for it. And I think that it feels like it's extended to the team. And, I, and he, I, I'm not going to read the full quote because it's just a long quote, but he got asked um, by Sam Amick from The Athletic about continuity and things of that nature. And he talked about Tim Conley calling him saying, hey, we could trade Jamal a couple years ago for a big marquee player. And he said, no, like, let's not rush things. This team is really, I think, under him with Jokic, who obviously makes it easier and all of that stuff. They have really, I think, evolved into what this final form of this season is. And it's because they were patients, because they have Jokic, because they got the right role, guys. But I think it's also because Michael Malone has done a, a overall like a very good job. I mean, some stuff I know that infuriates Nuggets fans with benches and and you know maybe not sliding Probably not now. four times. Not now. There, he <laughs> has mean, done a really good job, and he's providing that edge bosses, that I really like. I hope they're not mad at the dude. No, he's he's done a great job. This team is on the brink, and he I think he deserves a lot of a lot of praise for being kind of the the, the hand in the center of all of this. They sucked you in, Chris. They got you. I'm in. I'm I'm a Nuggets true believer. Disgusting. I'm sorry. I, I, I've, you know, it's what, I, what I think I really appreciate about You're what they've done. For Brendan. culture is really what you are. I you get a good, I you get am. a good culture anecdote, yeah. and Chris Manning is on your side. Like he will, uh-huh. he will intern for your team in a heartbeat. Yeah. I, I really just respect teams that are not like, like trying to solve problems by overreacting over and over again. Like, like they, signing James like, Harden. Yes, um, I'm not a Houston Rockets person, let's say, in, in that context. The other the other thing about this is, like, I understand some of this is, like, you know, the Cronkies don't always want to spend a ton of money, and, like, that's part of the story as well. Like, this isn't, like, the perfectly rosy, like, thing that I think you could make. You could spin it if you wanted to. But what I think they've done in terms of, like, drafting well and, well, except for Bones, and understanding kind of what this is about and like having Jokic and kind of understanding what that opportunity is and finding the right guys and also letting guys like develop into, into these things and get to get some luck along the way and like, not like trying to just switch things to switch things and really just keep adding and adding and adding and tinkering with a formula that has been very successful for the most part in the regular season and getting to this point, there's something to be learned for that. I understand not every situation can operate this way, right? Jokic makes that possible. Jokic makes patience for your organization possible but there you don't i don't think teams necessarily need to have like one thing and just freak out and adjust everything because of that other teams would have traded jamal murray four years ago yeah other who do you think it was for people were speculating it's Kawhi. like it's got to be it's oh man well, what were you gonna say i there was there was Cavs nuggets like murray Kyrie stuff around the summer Kyrie the Kyrie asked out and i thought also maybe it could have been kevin love like I, I think there, I think there's. That's where my brain went, but that's a little more than three to four years ago at this point. That's, that's what I was thinking. I'm like, that's well, I thought, thought Kyrie too, just because it was a guard. But then I was like, well, Jamal probably wasn't good enough, and and Malone's quote was like three to four years ago, probably not three, because well, that, that would have been the COVID off season. So more like well, 2019, which is when Kawhi yeah. got traded. So, but if you went, but if you went back to if it is five years ago, maybe like I I do know for a fact that there was like Cavs Nuggets talks around that time. 
I don't know. Well, I don't way, know if that's I mean, what he's referring to, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, not to be, uh, I'll, I'll be the Nuggets hater on this episode. Um, I've given them plenty of flowers. I, I forced us to talk about Nikola Jokic for 20 minutes last episode or the episode before. Um, but team would have been great if they traded Jamal also. Yeah. If they had Kyrie or Kawhi, I would imagine Joker would have made that work. Um, no, I just, I, I I'm a sucker. Loving, I'm, I'm a sucker. No, I don't, I'm, I'm not sucker. even, I, I'm just messing with you on that. But like, nah, I sucker. do feel like, uh, I just think it's a little bit silly to pretend like, uh, the way you put it is perfect. Nikola Jokic is that dude. Nikola Jokic is great enough that all the stuff, you know, we talked in the last episode and I, I keep bringing it up just how hard it is for um, the how hard, how crazy it is that Jamal Murray is going to be the second best player on a championship team potentially. And even you could go down the rotation. I mean, they have six players. You know, this is really not like we think of it as, oh, they're homegrown and they're so deep. It's like really not that deep. They're not you that know? deep, yeah. They have they have really condensed their roster. They made the Aaron Gordon trade. They eventually sort of had to keep getting rid of guys because they are good at drafting. And that's what happens when you're really good at drafting is you end up having to lose um, your, 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 your star role players over time because they're just too good to keep. All that stuff has happened to them. They've been able to weather that storm. Getting KCP, I think, was really, really smart. Getting Bruce Brown was really smart. But those are none of those things are like, uh, you know, franchise changers. They just had the infrastructure with, with Jokic. But it's just to me, it's like there's not one way to win. And there's not one way to build a great team. And I would imagine that the fact that Denver even had those conversations was reason enough to indicate that they see this stuff the same way as we all do. And, you know, they held out for one summer, then they made the conference finals, and then their hands were, were tied because two of their better players in Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr. got hurt. And you're not going to trade mm-hmm. them at that point. So, mm-hmm. It's all just happenstance. I think we should just appreciate the greatness of, of the talent a little bit more so than trying uh, yeah. to make this some some like the conquering of culture. It's like, okay, um, sure. But the Warriors sure. have an amazing culture and they got Kevin Durant. Should yeah, they have said I, no I, so they could hold it over our heads? I just think it's a com- I think it's a combo of these things. I think it is yeah. all, it is like you need to have an organization that knows what it's doing and knows what it's about and has all this and is willing to be patient at times and believes in its people. And because I think that makes these people better, I, I do think that like plays a part of this. But you also do need the talent. None of you can have the best run organization in sports. Like the Heat could have Heat culture, but if they don't have Jimmy Butler, they're not like two up, two zero, and this like they're not up. They're not dominating Boston in a lot of ways right now. They have they won't go yeah. in this run even with they like it's because of Jimmy Butler. But those things I think have to blend the the best teams at the yeah. best moments. I think blend those things together, and I think that. That is what has worked here, I think, with Denver. It's that everything is built to this, and certainly there is some luck involved. It's like Murray might not have come back correct, but he's showed up big time these last couple of games in particular. Um, well, I think a perfect example of of what you're talking about, and Murray we can definitely hit because he, he's been amazing all series, and we probably should have, not we, you, and I, but it, just all of us should have paid a little more attention to game one rather than just being like, oh, nice Murray game. It's like, okay, maybe they actually genuinely do not have a way to guard this guy. They, <laughs> I think, I think he, we've learned is, that. Yeah. yeah. But... Michael Porter Jr. to me is is the perfect example of what we're talking about. I mean, 
because I've been wondering about their their defense. Like I I brought up the idea of like why are why are teams not able to attack Jokic more? And we kind of talked about that as this series has gone along. And I was like, it might just be psychological of like, you just have to, they hold you to such a high standard that you have to get a great shot that if you don't feel like attacking Jokic is your best option offensively, then you're not going to go to it, even though theoretically, if you pick at that, you're going to get the right things working for you over time. You might get him in foul trouble. You might be able to get some easy paint buckets, all that stuff. But it's like, you just got to just got to shoot when you have a chance because they're going to keep making shots. But the other way their defense has improved to me, Chris, is their point of attack defense and their ability to help and stuff like that around him is all yep. significantly better than it was. And I don't think we all realize that in the regular season enough because they, they didn't have an amazing regular season defense. They were still susceptible to five-out offenses and three-point heavy teams and, and all that sort of stuff when they weren't on their A game. But between Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and then Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon's always been great, but I think Porter Jr.'s yeah. ability to be an even better help defender, a guy who can you know peel in from the perimeter and get a hand in your face, swipe at the ball, at least contest a shot where maybe he would have been lost before, hold up, close out well. He's a good enough team defender in a way that he used to just be catastrophically bad, and you add the fact that KCP and Bruce Brown are going to be excellent at the point of attack, and there's only so much you really need when you have size at every position, great point of attack defense and players who are executing when your offense is amazing. That's going, that's going to be enough. There is nothing the Lakers are doing that is phasing the nuggets. Nothing. They, they don't look like there's stuff that works at times for the Lakers. Mm -hmm. And I think they've actually done a pretty good job at throwing all these different looks at Jokic and really yeah kind of keying on, on some of that. I think they've done a great job and Darvin Ham and his staff deserve credit, I think, for that game plan and what has worked there. But nothing the Lakers are doing is really bothering the Nuggets enough to make them freak out or alter their plans or whatever. They're just constantly handling it and moving on and evolving with the game. Um, like, this is a game, Brandon, where, like, they, they're down. The Lakers kind of come back. LeBron, you know, LeBron's getting going a little bit, feeling a little, like, aggressive. And they rip off a 13-0 run in the fourth that just killed LA. And it was like a team thing. It wasn't like a Jokic-Murray domination thing. Murray was great in the first half, much colder in the second. But this 13-0 this run is a Jeff Green three on a Bruce Brown assist, a Bruce Brown three on a Michael Porter Jr. assist, a Murray pull-up three, a Bruce Brown putback, and then a Jokic layup, a little finger roll with an assist from Murray. Like that, that was just, they just, they just nuggets the, the Lakers. It wasn't like Jokic, Jokic goes on a run and Murray is like bombing the way like he did in the first half. It was just, we trusted our process. We trusted our flow. We trusted what we are. You can't guard us at a certain point. Yeah. It, they honestly feel, they feel Spursy, you know, um, in, in the way that the ball moved. Duncan was so unselfish. And they had just the, the right role players at the right points in their careers. I think one thing that their player development structure seems really good at is like knowing when players are ready to do new things or to be part of contributing. Like in this game, they basically benched Chris, Christian Brown. They're like, you know, we wanted we wanted you to be part of our playoff rotation. You've given us good things, but we just can't mess with it. Yeah, at, in a must win, not a must win, but in a big game three on the road, you're just you're not going to be part of this for us. And I think you could say again the same thing about Michael Porter Jr. That 
assist that you talked about on the Bruce Brown three, which is there anything more demoralizing than a Bruce Brown three? No, when you're no. like trying so hard to stop also these guys a, and a, that a, dude a, makes a fucking three, it's like, or, can or we do Jeff anything? Gr- or, or a Jeff Green three? Yeah, it's Jeff Green. Who, but by the way, he still jumps like he's 22. Yeah, and I, like, I love, yeah, I love it. And that's another thing, right? I mean, the the confidence there for Michael Malone to people, I think, exaggerated a lot. Aaron Gordon got benched. It's like there were a few minutes where Gordon may have <laughs> typically been on the court and Jeff Green was yeah. instead on the court. He made a three yeah. during that stretch, so it got a lot of attention. Yeah. But it's like and Air, he just pulled the right, the right strings here. And I think that the MPJ thing to tie the knot on that is that that assist on the Bruce Brown three was a play he just wouldn't have made. It was a very simple play, but when you're talking about a dude who was just a phenom in, in high school and had teams built around him from the minute he was probably 14 years old, it shows growth to be a good help defender and a ball mover. And he had an open three. He loves his little sidestep, you know, you know, over, going viral on overtime, step back three stuff that he can make. But in that moment, yeah. he's like, we're on a run. We're going to put yeah. them away. Let me uh-huh. share the ball. I trust Bruce and he made a three and like that's where I think the culture stuff matters a lot more is that like you were talking about the trust in each other, the trust from the coaching staff, the empowerment, all that stuff I definitely think makes a difference uh, and you can see it in plays like that. Yeah, to hit on a couple of things, uh, one thing with the Lakers that I think is very ominous as we kind of wrap this up. Um, D'Angelo Russell has been, I think, awful and borderline unplayable in this series. He is Brendan, 21 points. An eight of twenty-seven shooting and two of fourteen on threes in these three games. He is such an inconsistent player. Like he's had some really big moments for Lakers in the playoffs. I, I mean, I, I think what he kind of is at his best makes sense on this team. But he's not a good defender. He's not going to be one of your guys to throw at Murray. He struggles kind of containing your cut, like the KCPs and stuff of the world. And if he's not making shots, I don't know what the value is for D'Angelo Russell. Or it's like Austin Reeves know exactly what he's going to provide. Vando's kind of struggled a little bit in this series, but I understand what he's doing. Rui has been out of his mind awesome for them. Probably their best trade acquisition, if we're being frank about it, which is the one we didn't really like hype up as like a big deal. Like that's actually the one that has really unlocked a lot of things for them. And he's been awesome. Russell has just been so bad that I I don't like not that Schroeder's been great, but at least Schroeder, like I kind of he's trying and knows what he's gonna do. Russell is just asleep at the wheel in this series every time he's on the floor, it feels like. Yeah, it's it's always been the thing with him, right? I mean, he's not he I think he's actually a decent passer, but I think he has to be in he has to be in like a spread pick and roll for his passing to that's really the only time that he's yeah. going to create advantages for teammates. So if if he's not really like kind of the driver of the of the car, then there's not a lot going on with his passing. Scoring-wise, comes and goes, it's very specific. I also just I don't know, like it, there's always just seemed to be like a lethargicness, lethargy when he's moving on the court. Like he just doesn't doesn't move like cover ground defensively there, to there, rotate. There's no he doesn't. There's burst no urgency. Off. Yeah, there's, there's no, no urgency. urgency. He doesn't burst downhill when he's coming off a screen. Everything is just sort of patient to the point of being like looking like lack of effort. I, I don't know if it's a lack of effort. I don't, I don't think he's an explosive athlete or like that's not his game. So I'm not trying to impose like he needs to do that. But there's just a lot of moments where it's like there should be urgency and there's not. And 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 I think that's been a huge problem for them. Um, really to me though, and, and Russell's a, a part of it, just what what he doesn't have. This is a Denver team that you you need to, you need to have a ball handler who can 
attack to beat this Denver defense in transition, in the pick and roll, in these little openings. That's what Booker was able to do in the first round. I even think that's what Anthony Edwards was able to do at yep. times. In, in, or I'm sorry, Booker in the second round, Anthony Edwards in the first round. The Lakers just don't have that. And with LeBron very clearly compromised by some combination of the foot, the ankle, and being old, that's just not going to you know, cut it. They don't have that that weapon that they really needed. Uh, they they had a guy uh, who we can maybe bring up, Russell Westbrook, who could have done some of that, but I don't think that was going to work. And when they got rid yeah. of him, that was just kind of the only even potential option on their team to, to do some of that stuff. And you you just really feel it when they don't, when, when, a, when AD basically isn't able to get to the free throw line or score inside and Reeves is either cold or not in the game or whatever, because he's a second year player, you just feel it immediately. Okay. The offense is shutting off. The, the hose is, is, is just running out of water. Yeah. We'll see if the Lakers can extend, but it, the Nuggets are on the brink. They're on the brink of making their first finals in NBA history. It would be a stunning historical turn of events if they're not in the NBA finals playing either Boston or, or Miami. But that's going to be it for the Just Basketball Show for Monday, May 22nd. I'm Chris Manning. That is Brendan Clean. Please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Leave us great five-star reviews. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for their awesome work on production. And we'll be back on Friday after a slate of games this week. Some more WA basketball we'll talk about on Friday as well. But in your feeds early Friday morning, our next episode of Just Basketball. Until then, enjoy the hoops.